Tu B'Shvat is a time, trees don't have to fast, right, right, right. Well, that would be Yom Kippur, but yeah, they, uh, but they don't blow the shofar, they don't dip apples on honey. So what is the idea of, of a Rosh Hashanah for trees? So in Halacha, there are laws about the age of trees. You may know this. It says that when you plant, Jewish law says that when you planted a new tree and it begins to grow and it begins to produce fruits, the first three years of the tree and its fruits, you cannot eat of those fruits. First three years are off limits. The fourth year, you would bring it to the temple in Jerusalem. You would bring the fruits there. And then the fifth year, you would begin to eat the fruits. Now, the question is, what constitutes the first, second, third, or fourth, or fifth year of the tree? You might say, well, from the date you planted, count 365 days, and that's year one, and then after that is year two, year three, year four. But it doesn't really work like that. There's an objective year count for trees, just like there's an objective calendar year. It's not like everyone has their own year. Like, uh, imagine a bar mitzvah boy who says, you know, hey, it's the year 13. Well, for you, it's the year 13, but we got an objective count as well. So when it comes to trees, there is an objective count. Anything that is planted or anything that starts growing within, between one Tubashvat and the other is within one year, then the next year, the next year. This is kind of the cutoff for when trees are considered to be in one year or the other. So that's kind of the legal ramification. What's interesting is that this morning and really today throughout the prayers, we are not going to recite, we don't recite Tachnon, which is the... Um, Prayers of penitence, in which we ask Hashem to forgive us for our various indiscretions. And we omit those prayers on holidays. Any fest, Shabbat and festival days, that, and any of those celebratory days in which we're thinking about positive things and good things, and, you know, and we don't want to focus on kind of like the, or not don't want to, but it's not an appropriate day to focus on our own misdeeds, we, we, we omit those prayers, not... not uh, um, by whim, but by design, those prayers are not to be recited on special occasions. Well, today is one of those special occasions, and the question is asked, just because the tree, you know, has this Rosh Hashanah situation, so we don't say Tachnon, we don't say those prayers, what is a Makesha, what's the, let the trees not, you know, let the trees celebrate, what are we doing, why, why are we, the answer is, the, the, the Torah says in Deuteronomy, Ki Ha'adam Eitz Hasada, now, our DPP crew, right, we know this because we've, We've studied Deuteronomy together not that long ago, a few months ago. It says that a, that a man or a person, a human being, is like a tree in the field. We, are, we human beings are likened to a tree. Just like a tree has roots, we have roots. Just like a tree has a trunk, we have a trunk. That means like what we're about. Just like a tree has branches, we have branches, our, our reach, our extension. Just like, we, just like trees bear fruit, we also are encouraged we are called upon to bear fruit and fruit is the idea of sharing with others i think we had this last week in arashi the idea of a palm the idea of a palm tree a date palm tree which is not just it's not just about vertical growth or self-growth but it's about extending to others and giving to others so on this day of tubashvat it's a great day to think about all these different dimensions what are our roots Think about those that have come before us, parents, grandparents, you know, uncles, aunts, whatever. You know, patriarchs, matriarchs, if you want to go back that far. Think about the roots that we have. Think about the trunk. Think about what we're about. What are our values? What's our strength? Right? The trunk of a tree is its, its stolz, its, um, its 
the strength is, is the actual tree itself. What's, what's our strength? What are our strengths? What are the things that we believe in? What are, what are our values? What are the things that really make us define this who we are? What about branches? Where are we, our activities? Where's our reach? You know, where could we perhaps reach further and have a, a, a bigger impact? And then, of course, the fruit. How are we influencing those around us? Yes, Ray, jump in. Um, isn't today also the day, um, if you have a shidduch in mind, um, isn't there a prayer you say for and shidduch will happen maybe? That's a good question. You know what? Interesting. I, I'm not familiar with that tradition. It's very possible that there's a matchmaking, um, you know, skula, like a good... Um, it's a fortuitous time, a fortuitous time for that to happen. I'm not sure. Could be. Could be. Sounds good. Hey, can't, I mean, can't go, it's a special day. Yeah, Dina. Maybe another Judaism gives to the world. So a yoga, there's a yoga pose called tree pose. Mm. And we stand straight and one leg is bent up against the other. So that's kind of our, you know, standing on one leg type of thing. Interesting. But then we say grow our branches. Once we become stable and balanced, we say grow our branches. Unbelievable. I'm, they got it from here. <laughs> Look, you know, you know what's interesting? Maimonides says, this is something really cool. Maimonides says that how do you know when something is really, really true? Like not just sometimes true, but like really true. He says when you see it in many different places, then you know it's, mm, you know, that thing seems really true. Like if, if like one person said it, but if like, a lot of people are saying it. Now, by the way, just because, <laughs> time out. The, the disclaimer is the other way around also. Just because everyone says it doesn't make it true. Okay, But something that's true, I think here's the point. If it's really true, it's going to be manifest in many places. You know what I mean? It's not, if it's really true, it's not going to be like only in one place. It's going to somehow ultimately leak out. Like King David writes in Psalms. One of my favorite lines in Psalms. I love this. He says, Emet me'eretz titzmach. He says that truth will grow from the ground, which is understood by some commentaries to mean that if you try to bury the truth, eventually it's, it's going to grow, it's going to, it's going to pop up beneath the surface. You can't bury truth, for, you can't hide truth. Eventually it comes, if it's really true, it's going to come out and it's going to blossom. It's like, I'm going to take a seed. I'm going to bury the seed. No one's going to know where the seed is. Well, yeah. <laughs> What's that thing coming to the ground? I, I, I found your seed. You were trying to hide it. I found it. Truth has a way of kind of, you know, getting out there eventually. Like Judaism skips the world, right? Things that began in, in a very particular way, but they're true, end up, however, uh, through this religion, that philosophy, this movement, that era, Everyone is a different story, but eventually if it's true, if it's real, if it's authentic, if it's good, it's going to get out there. It's hard to keep a good thing down. Okay, so that's a little bit about Tuba Shred. Yeah. So when the, the, when the fruits would fall in the first three years from the trees, were they just left or were they like sacrifices? Or that's, a good, that's, a, that's a great question. It was not brought as an offering yet until year four. So they just were left. It's Arla. It's like forbidden. It's like not kosher almost. You can't touch anything. It was, I, mean, I don't know if they could touch. They probably could touch it. 
but I don't think they could, well, they for sure couldn't eat it. I don't believe they could derive benefit from it either. What I mean to say is, it's not like you could turn around and sell it, you know, to someone who wasn't bound by that prohibition. Let's say somebody who's not Jewish and not bound by that prohibition. I, you, I don't think you can benefit in any way from that. It's totally, it's basically off limits. So what is the ultimate, you know, all rationale? I don't know. Because in a way, you're kind of wasted. Yeah, know. yeah. You should know that the Torah is very careful about wasting stuff. In fact, the whole prohibition against wasting comes from... Um, comes from the idea of not using a tree in battle. As if you recall, remember the, the prohibition, don't use a tree for battle, don't cut down a fruit tree. And here it's like, well, hold on, we have a fruit tree and we're not using the fruits. Yeah, listen, this is one of those things. The same author with, an, with a capital A that says, you know, don't waste uh, stuff with utility also says the first three years, don't use the fruits. I guess the message is, Right? Well, first of all, I don't know if this is the message, but first of all, there'll be many more years, please God, of fruit. So it's not like, um, for those first three years, I think the message is that it's, it's kind of like an acknowledgement and a surrender. It's not my tree. It's not my tree. It's not my fruits. I don't own it. Yeah, I planted it, whatever, but it's not mine. It belongs to Hashem. Now you might say, well, therefore, so then, so then give it to Hashem. Give it, bring it to the temple and bring it to I don't know. I'm sure there are explanations given for it. I'm saying... I'm sure there are rationales attributed to it. I don't know if anyone really knows the reason for it. Like any mitzvah in the Torah, it's like we know as much as we know and then we hit a wall. But I'm sure there's, I'm sure there are sources that can fill in a little bit more than I'm, tra- than I'm filling in. But it's a good question. Sabbatical year? Can the fruits be eaten from the tree? Um, sabbatical year, yes. The whole sabbatical year means that the owner doesn't have ownership rights and exclusive rights over the food. Anybody could eat from that field. So you don't oh. waste the food from the field. It's open to all. Um, and no planting. And no plant, right? And right, and no fresh planting. This is a little bit different. This is forbidden. It's almost like, I mean, what, the way it's uh, um, correlated in, in Jewish law is, it's almost like not kosher. It, it is kosher, but it's that same status as not kosher. Like, don't eat it. Don't you know? Don't touch time. it. Yeah. Anyway. But of course, the fruit also feeds the animals and feeds the ground. Just left there. There you go. Yeah, as the famous, 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 famous peach fiasco of 2021. The famous peach scandal. Call it a scandal, not a fiasco. The scandal. In Yiddish, scandal. The scandal of the peaches in 2021. Yeah, but the animals were saying, look, we, 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 even the rabbi couldn't stop us. The rat. The squirrels, for those that don't know, I had hundreds of peaches on a peach tree and overnight cleared out. There's two options, two, only two options. Okay, three. Option number one, which is the third option, but it's a, a UFO. Option number two, can't rule anything out. Option number two, somebody or a team of people went and got the, even the top branches that you can't even get to with my, with my extendo pole. Somebody got like a beep, beep, like those, those machines, those, those trucks with the cherry pickers, the peach pickers, and got it. Option three, which I think is the most likely, I've ranked it from least likely to most likely, is the squirrels. How do I know squirrels? Because I saw the day before squirrels running along the power lines right by the tree with peaches in their mouth. But that they knocked out the whole tree over one night is absolutely astounding. Anyway, 
So what's the point? Yes, animals and tree rodents, whatever you call them, love fruit as well, and it's a good thing. Okay, maybe, yeah, maybe also there's a form of giving back to the earth and, and, and other animals before humans step in. Maybe. It's not a bad theme. Okay, let's jump into the new Torah portion. Wow, do we have a portion this week. This is Yisro, or Yitro, or Jethro, whatever you want to call it. I'll call it, uh, I guess, Yitro. Yit, Yitro. Oh, no, here's Jethro. You know what? I'm going to call it Yisro, and then we'll call his name Jethro, and that's going to be it. Who was he? The father-in-law of Moses, as we'll see in this week's Torah portion, as it opens, Moses' father-in-law, who was living in Midian, and that's where Moses went when he had escaped from Egypt, and he met the young ladies that were getting, you know, harassed over there by the well, and he rescued them from the other shepherds, and then he married the eldest daughter, Tzipporah, had a kid or two, and then was sent by God to Egypt to facilitate the exodus, and that's kind of where the story went on. Well, Moses has been doing all this stuff, and it's about a year, right? Every plague was about a month, 10 plagues, you know, 10 months, give or take, with some preamble, you know, some warnings before, and some splitting of the sea after. We're talking about about a year that he has been doing this exodus stuff. Well, in the meantime, Moses, his father-in-law, is uh, up in Midian, kind of just chilling, and he's hearing reports. He's reading the, the newspaper, right? He's checking Twitter. He's got the... Uh, the, he's, Dan Rather is CBS Evening Newsing him. Dan Rather, he's no longer doing the news, is he? Back in the day, Dan Rather was the dude. Anyway. Good stuff. Good memories. Anyway, back to the story. So I know but when I say back in the day, it's not really back in the day. I mean, it's like not that long ago, but whatever. So... <coughs> So he hears about what's going on. What happened with the Jewish people, with Moses, all that stuff. And at this point in the narrative, he decides to join the club. He's coming in to join the children of Israel. This is where this Torah portion picks it up. In the aftermath of the great miracles of the Exodus and the splitting of the sea. Exodus chapter... Yes. Isn't another reason that he came... um, he knew that Moses had a big burden of helping the people when they had problems and, and it got overwhelming and then he established the court system. Yes, excellent. Yeah, we'll see that inside in, in a moment, how uh, instrumental he is in, um, in helping establish a system that's workable, that's manageable for, the, for judging the cases. Yeah, excellent. So let's jump in. Exodus chapter 18, Chai, verse number one. So now Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, by the way, he had many names. Not not only in English, Jethro is Yitro is Yisro, it's all the same. But he was called Reuel. He was also called, what else was he called? He has a few other names that were used already in, in the Torah and, you know, last several chapters, uh, a few Torah portions ago. But anyway, here is called Jethro. Now Moses found out Jethro, the chieftain of Midian. Chieftain of Midian means he was uh, a big knacker. He was, uh, he was a head, spiritual guy. So he heard all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, 
that the Lord had taken Israel out of Egypt. He heard. He heard about the Exodus. He heard about the miracles. Rashi says specifically, what did he hear? He heard about the splitting of the sea. He heard about the war with Amalek. Right? He heard all of these things. He heard all the miracles. And by the way, Rashi adds, you know, these, these miracles. Typically we think, yeah, the Exodus is putting the sea. Don't forget they just defeated Amalek. The end of last week's Torah portion. Like, you know, what we read a few days ago, Friday. They, def- they were in a war against Amalek. Amalek was a very vicious, uh, vicious enemy. And the Jewish people defeated. That was a major miracle. So he hears all this. So what did he do? So Moses' father-in-law Jethro took Zipporah, Moses' wife, after she had been sent away. Let me explain. Let's see if uh, Rashi explains. Here. Take a look at this Rashi. What, so, uh, let me explain the question. Before we get to Rashi's explanation, let me explain the question. The Torah is telling us here that, that Jethro, along with Moses' wife Zipporah, went and met up with the people. The question, that's, the question that you could ask, obviously, is why wasn't Moses' wife with him? Don't you remember when God sent Moses down to Egypt, he was traveling with her? Remember that? Remember they were traveling and the sun was there and the angel wanted to kill the sun because the sun hadn't, or kill Moses, sorry, because the sun hadn't been circumcised, so she did the old the old uh, side of the road circumcision with a, with a rock, with a sharp rock. Remember she did that? So she was ostensibly traveling with uh, her husband. So now we're reading that she's with her dad back at Midian? How'd she get back at Midian? I thought she was on her way down to Egypt last time. Last time we heard of Zipporah, she was with Moses en route to Egypt. What happened? Rashi explains. Thank God for Rashi. Here we go. When the Holy One blessed be, he said to him in Midian, said to Moses in Midian, go return to Egypt. And Moses took his wife and his sons, etc. And Aaron went forth and met him on the Mount of God. So here's what happened. Here's what we didn't know happened. Aaron said to Moses, who are these? Who's this young lady and these fine young children? And Moses replied, this is my wife, whom I married in Mijan. And these are my sons. He had two sons. And then Aaron says, and where perchance are you taking them? Uh, yeah. And he said, to Egypt. So Aaron retorted, we are suffering with the first ones. And you come to add to them. In other words, there's already enough of us suffering in Egypt. You're bringing more to suffer. So Moses then said to Tzipporah, go home to your father. She took her two sons and went away. That's it. Basically, and, and, and now that we have this little backstory, it makes total sense. Initially, Moses took his wife and kids. Aaron says... Bro, literally, brother, I'm coming for me. I know what's on the ground here. You don't want to bring, they'll join when it's over. Let them stay at home. Let them relax. Let them, I mean, back in her dad's house, in the Zayda's house. Let them them hang out with uh, with Grandpa Jay. Like, we don't need need, um, more people to, to, to experience the suffering right now. Okay, so now, after all this, Jethro takes his daughter Tzipporah, Moses' wife, and, verse 3, and her two sons, yeah, their two sons, one of whom was named Gershom. A Gershom means a stranger in a strange land. Because Moses said, I was a stranger in a foreign land when he was in Midian. And one who was named Eliezer. Why Eliezer? 
Why Eliezer? By the way, my, my son Ellie, for those of you who don't know Ellie, Ellie's name is Shlomo Eliezer. Big name for a little guy. Shlomo Eliezer. His name is Eliezer. So one was named Eliezer. Oh, Eliezer also, if you recall biblically, was the servant of Abraham. So Moses names his second son Eliezer. Why? Because Moses said, the God of my father came to my aid and rescued me from Pharaoh's sword. Okay, the God of my father came to my aid and rescued me from Pharaoh's sword. And that's when he had escaped to Midian. Pharaoh wanted him, wanted to kill him, and he escaped. So he says, thank God for rescuing me from the sword of Pharaoh. And Eliezer is Akeli, Eliezer, my God, my Savior. That's the name Eliezer. If you want to know what Eliezer means, my God is my salvation, is my help. That's what Eliezer means. Okay, let's continue. So, now Moses' father-in-law... Yeah. So, Gershom, what does that word specifically mean? Gershom. Yeah, it's a name. Ger means stranger. Well, I mean, what we use it to refer to someone who converts to Judaism, but Ger literally means... Not a stranger. Yeah, like a, a newcomer, if you will. And Shom... Sham is there. Ger Shom. I was a stranger there. Stranger in a foreign land. Stranger in Midian. I'm, Moses was talking about himself being in Midian. He's a refugee. Is it a, is it a created word? It's a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a created word. It's a composite word. Yeah. A composite word. By the way, not, not any different than the names of the 12 tribes. If you recall... That they name Ruvain, my, my, my husband Ru'u will see my suffering. Shimon, God has listened to my, uh, to my or maybe not, not, not my husband will hear me. God has seen my suffering, or how I'm not the beloved wife. And God has heard Shimon, Shema. Yeah, all, all of the, a lot of these names were based on the meaning. So Gershom means a stranger there, meaning he view, Moses viewed himself as a, a refugee, which he was. He was an escapee. Eliezer, God has rescued me. God has helped me. Uh, God has come to my aid in giving me this safety in this foreign land. So the, the, both names refer to him kind of in that state in, in when he was still living in Midian before he was sent back on that mission. Okay, so now Moses' father-in-law Jethro and Moses' sons and his wife came to Moses. So the whole mishpacha. He's got, we got the father-in-law, the wife, and the kids. Reunion, family reunion in the desert. To the desert where he was encamped, they met him up, they met up with him there, to the mountain of God. And Moses and he said to Moses, Jethro said to Moses, his father-in-law said to him, I, Jethro, your father-in-law, am coming to you. Oh, this was the message. He sent the message ahead of him. I, your Jethro, your father-in-law, am coming to you, and so is your wife and her two sons with her. So Moses went out toward Jethro. He heard the news, so he came out to greet him. He prostrated himself, bowed down, and kissed him, and they greeted one another, and they entered the tent. By all accounts, seems to be a healthy son-in-law, father-in-law relationship. I'm just commenting. Seems to be very healthy, very good. So far, so good. You're asking, where is the mother-in-law? I have no idea. It's interesting. The Torah doesn't talk about her. I don't know. Maybe there's a discussion somewhere. I, I've, I don't think I've ever heard anything about Jethro's wife. Doesn't mean it's not talked about. Just means I have never heard anything about it. I don't believe I, I have. Let's continue. So Moses told his father-in-law, 
Can you imagine the stories? Oh my gosh, can you imagine the fire, the, you know, round the fire stories? Shoo. Gather around the kumzits, get a little guitar, play some music, some storytelling. Oh, you'll never believe what happened. And can you imagine how much fun you could have with the plagues? Can you imagine if you were embellishing? Oh, I mean, you probably didn't have to embellish, but you could probably just spin a fantastical tale. Anyway, Moses told his father-in-law about all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians on account of Israel. He told him all about the hardships that had befallen him on the way and that the Lord had saved them. So he gave him the whole scoop. You think you heard the news reports? Oh, let me tell you what really happened. Gave him the whole deal. Let's see if there's a Rashi on that to fill in, like, what exactly did Moses share? Um, oh, look at this. Look at this. Why was Moses telling his father-in-law all these stories? Look at, Ra- look at Rashi. To attract his heart. To draw him near to the Torah. Look at that. It was strategic. With love, but strategic. It was to get his father-in-law excited about Judaism. Excited about the Torah. Excited about Hashem. Yeah. Because remember, his, his, um, his, 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 his father-in-law was not Jewish. His father-in-law, in fact, was a priest of many religions. He had studied, according to the commentaries, he had studied all sorts of other faiths and religions and beliefs and deities. And he was well-versed in other forms of worship. So Moses was, uh, you know, talking to him about uh, Hashem and Torah. I mean, Torah wasn't yet given, but about, you know, Judaism. Um, and he spoke to him about all the hardships. What's that? This by the sea. And the hardship of Amalek. Yeah, the recent hardships. Let's continue back inside. Toggle Rashi off. So they're having a nice schmooze. Moses is filling him in. So Jethro, verse 9, Jethro was happy about all the good that the Lord had done for Israel and that he, that he had rescued them from the hands of the Egyptians. And Jethro was so happy that verse number 10 happens. Thereupon Jethro said, Blessed is the Lord who has rescued you from the hands of the Egyptians and from the hand of Pharaoh, who has rescued the people from beneath the hand of the Egyptians. He says, Blessed is Hashem, who rescued you from all of this danger. And the words that he uses are words that we use till this day. Baruch Hashem. Right there. How are you doing? Baruch Hashem. How did it go? Baruch Hashem. No, you're okay. You got, out of, you got past the Egyptians. Baruch Hashem. Thank God. The first guy who said, Baruch Hashem, thank you, uh, Baruch Hashem, thank God, but he, it literally means blessed is the Lord. The first one who says this is Jethro. Here's a guy who gets it. Hasn't always been in it, but he gets it. Baruch Hashem. Look at, Ross, look at Rossi after number nine. Let's check it out. Let's check it out. Let's check it out. This one? Oh. Hmm. Interesting. You know, it's painting a little bit of a different picture than I was going, and that's brought that in other places as well. Okay, but it's Rashi. Let's read it. So the simple meaning is that he rejoiced. 
The Agadic Medrash, however, explains that his, his flesh became prickly, goose flesh, because he was upset about the destruction of the Egyptians. This is the source of the popular saying, do not disgrace a Gentile in the presence of a convert, even up to a tenth generation after the conversion, because the person might still be perhaps defensive and still you know, not be you know, uh, happy to hear something negative about one's past, which makes sense. Totally makes sense. So I, have to, I probably should explain a little bit. Jethro initially, originally was an Egyptian. Jethro himself lived in Egypt. Jethro himself was one of, start, began as one of the um, main three advisors to Pharaoh. The Talmud says the following story. The Talmud says that when Pharaoh was contemplating what to do with the Jewish people, he said, we have a problem. Too many Jews and, you know, they're, uh, they're going to go against us and destroy us from within, blah, blah, blah. So he called an advisory meeting. Three advisors. Balaam, Jethro, and Job. Those were his three advisors. Balaam, Jethro, and Job. The same Job of the book of Job. Eov. And he asked his advisors what to do. And Balaam said, throw the baby boys into the Nile River, infanticide, kill, or kill them at childbirth, whatever it is. Kill, kill the kids. God forbid. Murder the boys. Murder, murder the babies. Jethro said, no way. That was Balaam. Jethro said, no way. It's crazy. You're going to kill them. It's immoral. And Job was silent. And so Pharaoh decided to go with Balaam's position. Because Jethro had spoken up against the idea, he also became a targeted man. He also became a wanted man by Pharaoh. Pharaoh wanted to, you know, wasn't happy that he had, you know, tried to stick up for the Jews. So he also wanted to kill him, or he maybe he banished him, and that's how he ended up, um, Jethro ended up in Midian. So he has his own story. But on some level, he had, you know, he was from Egypt, he had been a leader in Egypt, he had been an advisor to Pharaoh, that was his old life on some level. And so Rashi says, based on the Agada, that there was, uh, you know, it hurt, it hurt a little bit. It hurt a little bit to hear what happened to the Egyptians, yeah. Well, going back to when the uh, Egyptians, when the children of Israel came through the Red Sea and the yeah. Egyptians were killed and the, um, they came out on the other side and they grabbed the jewels and they celebrated, it just seems to me like it went very fast. If you're not careful, you're going to think that the Jews, the children of Israel celebrated the deaths of the Egyptians, right. but they didn't. They praised God. Like right. here... Jethro is not happy that people died, right. but he still says Baruch Hashem. Right. I, I love what you're saying because what you're saying is there's balance both ways. There's balance for the Jewish appreciation for being, for, 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 for the Jews, for the children of Israel, their main thing is joy and, and salvation at the same time you can imagine it's tempered with uh, humanity of, of understanding the loss of life. And when it comes the other way, right? So there's a sense of loss, 
for Jethro on some level, coupled with the, the sense of, um, of joy and gratitude for the salvation. And he understood how wrong it was what the Egyptians were doing. He had been the one to stand up and say, no, this is wrong. He, he, of, he knew how wrong it was what they were He knew how wrong Pharaoh was. He was one of the advisors. He was the one advisor who said, this is actually wrong. And he wasn't listened to. By the way, parenthetically, Job, who said nothing. Job, um, Job ultimately suffered. And according to some commentaries, the reason for Job's sufferings is because of his standing by and standing silent in the face of, in the face of, of wrong. What's that, famous, what's that famous poem, whatever, or that famous uh, thing? They came for, uh, and then I was silent, they came for that, and I was silent, and then eventually they come for me, and there's no one to say anything. Yeah, no one's saying anything. So we're reminded once again in a kind of a roundabout way of this idea of not remaining silent. So to me, Jethro is a hero. He's a hero in Egypt. His daughter marries Moses. He blesses her conversion, whatever that looked like back then. It was not a formal thing, but her becoming, you know, marrying a member of the children of Israel. He's now going to, taking his daughter and his grandkids, he's going, you know, into to the community, saying Baruch Hashem. And as, soon, as we'll see soon, he's going to get on board all the way, as we'll see soon. Uh, Yadana, yeah. He calls, he calls Moses his king. Yeah. Yeah. He's all in. So, but, yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to mention that made me think of this weekend. I mean, there's similarities, right? Because, uh, of course, Baruch Hashem, that, you know, our brothers and sisters in Texas were saved. Thank God. The, the other fellow was, did not live, but, so there's no joy in that, but, you know, there's joy in... In, yeah. yeah, there's no. This this is one of the reasons why when we say the plagues at the seder, we spill some of the wine. Either we dip our finger in and 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 toss out some of the wine and you know, sprinkle out, or we pour out chabad customers to pour out some of the wine. Why? Because wine represents joy. And when we talk about suffering, even though it's the suffering that led to salvation, which is literally why we're celebrating the redemption, the freedom. But when we when we mention the suffering of another person, of another of other people, you have to diminish the joy. You have to take away from the wine. That's why we take out the wine. Because wine is Yainam Sameach, it's it's joyous wine. Wine symbolizes joy. That's why we have it at happy occasions. Right? That's why wine is always a part of a simcha. So when we're talking about human suffering, we don't celebrate the plagues on that level. It's a miracle, it's a this, it's a, it led to the salvation, that we're celebrating. We're not celebrating human beings suffering, which is a very important distinction. And, and a person, you know, it, it, it requires a little subtlety, but it's very important. And so thanks, uh, thanks Joy, for mentioning that and getting that started, because that's a very important, very important nuance. Okay. Rabbi? Yeah. The saying is, first they came for the Jews, I was silent. I was not a Jew. Then they came for the communists. I was silent. I was not a communist. Then they came for the trade unionists. I was silent. I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. That was Pastor Martin Newmeyer, I think is his name. Wow. Who, who's that? 
Wow, that's powerful. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And amazing that you had that ready to go. <laughs> it's almost like we uh, it's almost like we planned that. Okay, let's jump back inside. It's nice for MLK Day. Yes, that is perfect. Yeah, yeah, that's actually a very good connection. Okay, let's take a look. We did we did verse ten. Okay, yeah, let's uh, let's go to verse eleven. Now I know, he says, look at this. Now I know, says Jethro, that the Lord is greater than all the deities. Look at that line. I now know that Hashem, in other words, the Jewish God, is greater than all of the other so-called supposed deities and gods and religions and faiths in the world. And he said this from experience. In other words, it's not like he was like, oh, this sounds cool. I'm buying. Why not? No, he had tasted everything. He was a priest. He was, uh, you know, he, had, he was very well versed in what's going on. Now, so let me start again. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the deities, for with the thing that they plotted, he came upon them. For with the thing that they had plotted, he came upon them. Let's see if there's a Rashi here. Rashi says, um, yeah, Jethro was knowledgeable about every type of idolatry in the world. There was no pagan deity that he did not worship in the past. He knew everything. He, uh, he had it all. He knew it all. Um, with the thing they had plotted, he came upon them. What does this mean? According to the Aramaic translation, uh, with the thing the Egyptians plotted to judge Israel, that's what we judge them. And that refers to water. This is what we spoke about last week. The same thing that they use, that they try to use to destroy the Jewish people, water, throwing the boys into Nile, that's what ending up, that's what ended up destroying them. With water, they planned to destroy them, the boys in the Nile, and they themselves were destroyed with water. That's what it means. With the, th with the very thing that they plotted, he came upon them. Let's continue. Then Moses' father-in-law Jethro sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings to God. He brings offerings to Hashem. And Aaron, all the elders of Israel, came to dine with Moses' father-in-law before God. So it's Moses, Aaron, the elders of Israel, all eating together in the large banquet hall in the desert, whatever that looked like, right? They were dining together for this great feast. Oh, look at this. Rashi adds something beautiful. It says, Aaron came with the elders to dine with Moses, with his Moses' father-in-law. But where was Moses? Where did Moses go? It doesn't say that Moses sat down to eat. It says Aaron and the elders sat down to eat with Moses' father-in-law. What about Moses? Why was he not mentioned as partaking of the feast? So Rashi says, he was standing and serving them. Look at that. He was standing and serving them. He was the host. And as the host, he was going around. He gets some wine. How's, every, how's all the food? This becomes the source to... Like at a simcha or at a you know, celebration, if you're hosting, you go around the tables, you, know, you work the room, you schmooze it up. You're not sitting down and eating, right? If you ever see me in a, at an event, um, walking around, this, I'm, just, I'm just following Moses' lead. Don't worry, it's not uh, anything else. But I do appreciate when sometimes some of you tell me, hey, don't forget to make yourself a plate. I do appreciate that. And uh, you know, later on, there will be always time to eat. But at, a, at an event, at a simcha, 
the custom is, the tradition is, you know, the, the, the balabas, the one who's uh, thrown the party, you know, it's, uh, you're, 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 you're on duty, you're working, not in a negative way, in a, in a positive way, you're, you know, you're, you're hosting. Okay, now let's continue with reading number two. So we have a beautiful opening reading. So now let's continue with reading number two, and this will get us deeper into the story. So it came about on the next day. Now, here's the truth. It wasn't really the next day. It wasn't really the day after. It was the next day, as Rashi says, it was the day after Yom Kippur, which is after the golden calf, after the golden calf's forgiveness on Yom Kippur. So this story happens after the giving of the Torah at Sinai, which we have not yet read about. This happens... Let me just give you a little timeline. The Jews leave Egypt a week later, splitting the sea. If several weeks later, they get Torah at Sinai. Forty days later, sin of the golden calf. Another 40 days, and another 40 days is Yom Kippur. So we're talking about several months later is when this story happens with, that was what Ray mentioned before, about the judging of the people and Jethro's advice about how to judge, how not to judge the people, which we're about to get into. But just know that this story, the stories are compressed. We're getting all our Jethro stories in at the same time. But he came, and then the story played out the day after, not the next day after he arrived, but the next day after Yom Kippur. This is, they already had the Torah, they had the laws, they had forgiveness, they weren't working on patching up the golden calf stuff that was behind them, and now they were ready to roll and ready to move forward with uh, you know, normal life, so to speak. So that's where this story picks it up. So came about on the next day that Moses sat down to judge the people. And the people stood before Moses from, from the morning until the evening. So you can imagine. Moses puts up his little, uh, little placard. I picture like Charlie Brown, five cents, uh, whatever. He puts down his thing. Yeah. He hangs his, what's the lushan? You hang your shingle. He, he hung his shingle. And he says, I'm open for business. I'm judging whoever has questions about Jewish law. This was all very new to everybody. If you have any questions, you can come to me and I'll give you the answer. If you have disputes, and who doesn't, right? Yeah, two Jews, three opinions. Come to me. Anything to figure out, come to me. So the people stood before Moses from the morning to the night. What does that mean? The line was out the door around the tents and into the desert. It was all it was a massive line. So when Moses' father-in-law saw what he was doing to the people, what he was doing to the people, Ay, what are you doing to the people? He said, what is this thing that you're doing to the people? Why do you sit by yourself while all the people stand before you from morning till evening? This wasn't just a standing, sitting dynamic. This is a one-person-doing-it-all dynamic. You can't run this show by yourself, and any show that is run by one Maybe it's not the biggest show. How big of a show can it be? How grand of a show could it be if it's just one person? Moses said to his father-in-law, why is this happening? He answers him the obvious answer, for the people come to me to see God. They're looking for advice. If any of them has a case, he comes to me, and I judge between a man and his neighbor, and I make known the statutes of God and his teachings. That's what I'm doing. Now, he thought his father was saying, what are you doing? He's giving him the, the simple answer. He gets what he's doing. Jethro gets it. But he says it's still not the best way. Moses' father said to him, the thing you're doing is not good. No. You can't do it like this. 
you will surely wear yourself out. You're going to wear yourself out. You're going to burn out. You're going to burn yourself out. Talk about burnout. This is the first mention of burnout in Torah. You are, you're put. you're making it so complicated, not complicated, you're, it's grueling. This is a grueling schedule. You're not going to be able to survive, both you and these people who are with you. And not only are you not going to survive, they're not going to, they're going to burn out. They're going to stop coming to you because they can't, they can't wait all day in line. At some point they'll be like, forget it. We'll just find an alternative way or, or keep on fighting. I don't know. But we, we, can't, we can't do this. It's, it's just untenable. For the matter is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. These lines, you cannot do it alone. That's, that's the big, that's, that's a big line. Now listen to me, he says, as the father-in-law. Well, no, I don't think he was speaking like his father-in-law to son-in-law, but just, you know, some friendly advice. I will advise you and may the Lord be with you. By the way, this guy, Jethro, was, I, I know I've said it a few times, he was extremely bright. This guy had a lot of experience in the field of advice. He was one of the advisors of Pharaoh. This is not his first rodeo. It's not his first time sitting on a board or whatever it is. And I'm not saying he wasn't a board here. It's not his first time advising. He, he did that for a living. He did that for Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He says to Moses, I know a thing or two. And I'm telling you, this is not a sustainable model. Okay, you, here's what, here's what happens. Now listen to me. I will advise you, may the Lord be with you. You represent the people before God and you shall bring the matters to God. So you're, you're still going to be the, the interface, not the interface. I don't like that word, but you're, you're still going to have you. Yeah. You're going to still have your close, you know, connection with God. That doesn't change. Okay, <laughs> that doesn't change. And you shall admonish them concerning the statutes and the teachings, and you shall make known to them the way they shall go and the deeds they shall do. Yeah, you're going to be the one that tells them, do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that, at a general level. Like, you're, you're going to be the, you know, I don't like using the word go-between, but kind of like the go-between. You know, God's going to say, hey, this is the mitzvah. You're going to deliver, and you're going to tell them, you know, to, to, to make sure to stay on the straight and narrow. And all this stuff, of course, we know Moses does. But... This, that will be your primary job. But, Rabbi, is that yeah. similar to what the Rebbe would have with his, when he, people would stand in line to, yeah. to speak? Yeah. But the Rebbe also did have a, right, so yes. And on the one hand, you could say, well, the Rebbe had, you know, those, those dollar, those meetings, Sunday dollars, where people would stand for hours and wait for a dollar and a blessing and that sort of thing. So on one level, you could say that, yeah, there's some of that. Um, at the same time, the same time, um, you know, the Rebbe would often say, speak to this one, speak to that one, speak to Rav, speak to, you know, the Rebbe sent out shluchim to so many different communities and cities, you know, to be his representatives on the ground and that sort of thing. And not... Uh, a similar story. I mean, a similar... similar. It's equivalent to the court system, the lower court, then you have the next court, the next court, and then right. you have the Supreme Court. Right, right. So Jethro says, you're still going to be the Supreme Court. Right? Don't worry. Not taking anything away, not taking away the big stuff from you. The big stuff is still the big stuff. So you're still gonna be schmoozing with God and you know delivering the message to the people. But, and here's where it changes. Here's here's what's gonna be different. What I'm suggesting. But you shall choose out of the entire nation men of substance 
God-fearers, men of truth, who hate monetary gain. These are the criteria. And you shall appoint over them, over Israel, leaders of thousands, leaders over thousands, leaders over hundreds, leaders over fifties, and leaders over tens. Different levels of leadership. This is how middle management gets filled. No, I'm kidding. Or not kidding. This is right. This is management. This is there gonna be layers, levels of of leaders. Yeah. And they shall judge the people at all times. As Ray said, lower courts, higher courts, higher than higher courts, etc. And it shall be that any major matter they shall bring to you. So if it's big, if no one else can answer it, goes to you, you go to God. And they themselves, however, I'm adding the word however, shall judge every minor matter, thereby making it easier for you, and they shall bear the burden with you. In other words, don't take everything for yourself. It's too much. It's too much. It's going to burn you out. It's going to burn them out. It's not healthy. You got to collaborate. You got you. It's you. You have to share the burden, share the responsibility, right? Create leadership. Create leadership is healthy for everyone. Consolidating the leadership is only going to make it more difficult, and ultimately, it's just untenable. It's just not not sustainable. Next, sorry, not Rashi. Next verse. If you do this thing. And the Lord commands you. In other words, obviously we need Hashem's blessing. But if you do this thing and the Lord commands you, then you will be able to survive. And also this people will come upon their place in peace. It's good for you and it's good for the people if you follow this advice. This is the advice. And it seems so obvious. It seems so obvious. The Rebbe asked the question, well, I mean, it seems so obvious. I mean, how did Moses not see it himself? What was he thinking? Moses couldn't have figured out create, you know, a hierarchy and different levels of courts and, you know, people knowledgeable in law that can answer the easy questions? I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. Well, the Rebbe explains that, that to Moses, it wasn't just the law, it was a spiritual dynamic. There was like a, a communion, a connection with God. So when you spoke to Moses, you didn't just get an answer, you got an experience. So Moses wanted that everyone should have an experience. Everyone should have that kind of, you know, everyone should be there, have the opportunity to connect with him and, you know, the word of God and all that stuff. But Jethro said, you know, sometimes you got to be pragmatic. Sometimes not everything has to be like, you know, the, the, the world, <laughs> earth-shattering experience. Sometimes you just got to get it done. You got to move the, gotta move the, uh, the crowd through. A lot of people. Waiting, you know, somebody needs to know, you know, what's, what's going, I, they have a dispute, or the, is this chicken kosher, or, you know, what do I do on the holiday? An experience is great, but at the, the end of the day, you got to also, got to also be pragmatic. And this is, I think, the final lesson that I'll share with you today. I mean, I just shared it, but I'll just repeat it. That is, sometimes we get stuck on ideals. Ideally, it should be a certain way. Sometimes you got to be pragmatic. It's not about ideals. It's about pragmatic. So, for example, I had, you know, we had this, we had this uh, plan to do this concert, right, a week before the new JLI course started. But practically speaking, it's a, kind of a challenging time right now. So, as of this morning, we pushed it off for a few weeks till next month. Got to be practical also sometimes with, with things, right? You got to be practical. The new date on that, by the way, is Sunday, February 20th, my English birthday. So that's, 
That's the, pl the new plan for the concert is Sunday, February 20th. Anyway, just, just a little plug for Excellent that. Segue. Excellent yeah, segue. Yeah, you see what I mean? To get stuck on, no, this is the, I had a plan. There's a, this date works with that date. All right. No, no, it's fine. You got to. I do have another comment about this. Though. Yes. Back to the children of Israel in yes. the desert, always learning, always growing. Moses listened to his father-in-law. He was the head man. He had a direct line to God, and yet he still listened to Jethro. Yes. And I think that is a lesson that we should listen to people, to other people. Yes. We don't have all the answers all the time. And I want to add on that because that is very true. I want to add on that and say that sometimes when it's family, it's harder to listen to, right? Sometimes when it's someone who's a newcomer, it's hard. Although Moses himself was a newcomer. I'll, no, he wasn't a newcomer. He Whatever. But sometimes it's hard when it's a newcomer because you're like, you just got here. Now you're going to give me advice? I'm the guy. I'm the guy. Would the God choose you? Did God speak to you at a burning bush? I don't think so. And you're going to tell me what to do. So lesson, the lesson is the same lesson. It's about listening to others. It's about the humility to listen. And of course, if there's one thing we know about Moses, it's that he has the ultimate humility. We say that Moses is the most humble person that ever lived. What does that mean? It means that it was never about him, right? Or hardly, I mean, it just wasn't about him. It was about the truth. And his father-in-law gave, um, gave him good advice. It was good advice. He didn't allow his ego to get in the way and say, oh, no, I, but I thought, of, I thought this way would work better. It's not about you, not about, right? It's like, move on. Anyway, good stuff. All right, so I see in the comments, Sarah asked a good question about... Um, Oh, we have a few questions. She's gonna have to. Okay, so when did the squirrels take the peaches? Was it Shemitah year? They said I don't know how to pick them. Ah, that's hilarious. Yeah, the Shemitah, the sabbatical, only take only refers to um, fruits grown in Israel. So, either way, I can't get okay. I, I can't let the squirrels off on that one. They they were maybe they thought they were in Israel. These were like. Squirrels that were living with Mashiach already, they're like, oh, we're already, this is it, Mashiach is here, it's Israel, everything's... Anyway, but so that's that. When did it happen, though? It did happen before Passover. I think. I think it happened before Passover. Thank you. Yeah. Um, okay, then, maybe I'm wrong, maybe it's after Passover. I can't remember exactly when. Man, I, so traumatic, I blocked it out. I'm kidding. Are you going to have a different strategy this year? Like Yes, get them early. Pick them early before the squirrels. Yes. <laughs> okay. see a squirrel on the... On the I can't thing. stop him. I'm not stopping squirrels, but, but whatever. Oh, you can get... Well, you can preempt. I, that's what I'm saying. A little preemption. Now nah, we'll leave some. Okay. <laughs> the, I mean, the tree produces... I mean, when it's, when it's, when it's knocking, when it's a, a good year... That thing produces, I don't know, at least oh, at least five hundred peaches, at least one branch has like uh, I counted once close to hundred peaches. Try and come this year and get it. Yeah, for sure. The fresh, the freshness. Can't you know? can't get better. Florida peaches, right. uh, not Florida, Georgia peaches, and yeah. All right, that uh, Sarah asked the question: How do we count the years of a tree? From what point do you start counting uh, to three? You basically count. You basically count the first three years after. You one second. I believe it's the three years after you after it starts growing. I think, or after you start planting it. Mm. 
Not sure. Let's see. Let's see. Hold on. Um, look up very quickly. Laws of, it's called Arla. Laws of Arla. Okay. Uh, wait three years before partaking of any fruit from fruit-bearing trees. Question is, when does the three years begin? Three years begin. Chabad.org says it's related to the fiscal year for trees. Yeah. Uh, first three years of us. Right. The question is, when do we start counting the three years? Do we count the three years from when it's planted, from when it starts growing, at which point of growth, from when it starts um, blossoming or budding, or the fruits coming out? That is the question. So the way that the way the verses are described. It says, when you come to the land and you plant any food tree, you shall surely block its root from use. It shall be blocked from you for three years not to be eaten. And in the fourth year, all its fruit shall be holy, praise the Lord. And in the fifth year, you may eat its fruit. Um, have to look up Rambam on this and get a bit of a better sense. Um... Mm, 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 mm. Let me just look up one more thing. When does counting begin? Let's see if we can trigger something that. Yeah, it's the first three years of a tree's life. We may not eat of the fruits or derive benefit. They are rather left to decay in the field. This is one of the few agricultural laws which apply outside the land of Israel, albeit with some leniencies. Interesting. If a fruit tree is planted from the seed, its fruit is considered Allah for the first three years. Yeah. I think you're counting it from when you... I don't know if it's when you plant or when it starts growing, uh, maybe when you plant it, but it's the first three years of its life, not only the first three years after the fruit starts kicking in. That's what it seems like to me. That's what I believe. Okay, I hope that clarifies a little bit. Um, but anyway, that's a little bit about that. Okay, so what are the, um, what are the lessons for today? Number one, be like a tree. Strong roots. Strong trunk, values. Uh, long branches, long reach. And of course, giving the fruit, influencing and benefiting others. We spoke today about Jethro. Jethro, who hears something spectacular, doesn't just say, oh, interesting, but who gets up and does something about it. He took action. He said, Baruch Hashem. He acknowledges Hashem. He's a person who is not afraid to change radically. At an older age, I don't know how old he was, but his son-in-law was 80. So you can imagine he was an older fellow. 
He's not afraid to change, you know, important things about himself and his lifestyle um, upon witnessing the truth. That's very important. Sometimes we think, yeah, I'm inspired. It's true. But what am I going to do? Change now? Hey, Jethro did it. You know, he, uh, and then of course, with his advice and Moses listening, very important messages about being open to new ideas. All right. So these are some ideas for today. Some things that we can meditate and think about. Um, tomorrow we're going to continue the story. And of course this week, I don't think I mentioned it before, maybe I did, but the highlight of this week is the Sinai revelation, the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai and the 10 commandments. All of that is coming up in the next few days here at DPP as we, uh, we count down to Sinai. So that's, this is a big week tomorrow. As we begin the class, I'll ask the question, why is the name of the Torah portion called Jethro? And not Matan Torah, for example, it's the, that is the, which references the giving of the Torah, which seems to be the highlight of the Torah portion. Why is Jethro, you know, why does he become the main character? He's the opening character, but it doesn't seem to be the main feature of this week's Torah portion. So we'll talk about that, and we'll get ready for Revelation at Sinai through the, uh, the Torah's narrative. Okay, great to see you all tonight. Don't forget, tonight there is uh, the class with Mrs. Nomi Freeman. The class is entitled How to Think Like a Hasidic Master. It's both in person and on Zoom. I'll send that an email soon with more information. So that is coming up tonight at 8 p.m. Tomorrow night, as I mentioned about the concert, you'll you'll get more information. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, so it's not on tomorrow then? Tomorrow night? Yeah. No, tomorrow night is the um is the Judy's in the soundtrack. Correct. Correct. Is it on? That, no, we're pushing that off. That's the announcement. Oh. We're pushing that off. Oh, yeah. so that yes. will be the evening of the tw- this the 20th oh, next, February. next month. Next Correct. Month. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah, we're kicking it out. Um, and then, this is breaking news. And then, Wednesday, we're back on with Torah Studies, of course. And Thursday is Thursday. We have DPP throughout the week. And then next week, we're beginning, in addition to all of the above, we're beginning our brand new Meditation from Sinai series. Definitely join us for that Tuesday night on Zoom, Thursday in person. It's going to be a lot of fun. Okay, that's it for today. It's great to see you guys and hope to see you tonight, perhaps, 8 p.m. Take care, everyone. Bye. Thank you, Rabbi. Pleasure. Great to see you.